Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I've got my herbal tea. What are you drinking? I've got licorice and cinnamon. Dregs of coffee. Mm. Go. Yeah. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe, complete with drilling noise from buildings in the background. <laughs> keeping it real. <laughs> and I'm Sophie Robinson, complete with Jerry, the guinea pig under my desk if you hear any uh, squeaking. Those are the background noises we're living with today. Anyway, today it's all about you with our monthly style surgery where we delve into your interior design dilemmas and help you resolve the interior issues which are exercising your minds. So limber up, lift that tape measure (laughs) and let's hear our first question and that comes from Rebecca Hicks. Hi Sophie and Kate, I've recently moved into my dream flat, a gorgeous early Victorian flat in a Georgian style building which I'm absolutely loving, tinkering with and making it my own. However there's quite a big challenge So the wall to what is my guest bedroom was removed many years ago, which means you now walk straight through my front door, uh, straight into the guest bed. I don't want to put a wall back up as it's light and airy and I have a lovely big window there. But it'd be great to have some temporary screen or divider for when people stay, um, especially as it's between both bathrooms, which can make any nighttime trips to the toilet certainly more interesting. Uh, Would love to hear your ideas. Thanks. Rebecca. Yes, interesting. She sent us a photo and there's literally on the left hand side, there's a front door and two foot to the right, there's a double bed. So it's a really unusual layout. And there's also, and I can see why she doesn't want to put the wall back up, even though we're all about putting the walls back up. There is a lovely big window, which is obviously flooding the flat with light. So it's quite an unusual topic, but to open it up to be a little bit more relevant to everybody, I think it is quite interesting, this idea of creating division without a solid wall now i'm not a fan of freeland free standing room dividers i'm yet to see them really work and what worries me rebecca is because it's also a thoroughfare between bathrooms you don't want anyone clattering into a room divider and falling over i mean can you imagine the uh, potential catastrophe so i'm wondering whether you play around with the idea of a room divider that you can see through be that strips of timber. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you understand the sort of thing I'm talking about? Or even something in metal, like some trellis work or something? That feels very Lindsay from Interior Design Masters Series 1. Series 1 or 2, but yes. Yes, and, and Barbara from uh, Interior Design Masters. Similarly, there's a lot of uh, that, that going up. And I think it's a really interesting thing because we've been so obsessed with these open plan spaces. And Rebecca says that she loves the light that then bleeds through the space. And yet I'm not going to deny it Rebecca having a front door at the foot of your guest bedroom is not very conducive to a very relaxing stay for your guests I have thoughts so where to start so first of all when I looked at that picture that made me think first of all of those flats in the Barbican and I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of them but there's a lot of sort of sliding walls and doors and and sort of creating partitions around it that way so I wondered one of the sort of most permanent things you could do and I also the picture Rebecca sent us was very much a double bed I think if that were my apartment, I might put a sofa bed in there so that it becomes a working area with all the light or just an extra sitting room. But anyhow, the sleeping arrangements aside. So the first thing you could do 
is put in. Now, obviously, I'm part of the noise you can hear in the background is my builders installing a pocket door to my bathroom so that it saves space on a tight landing. That's door size, if you will, standard door size. But you can have them made or buy bigger ones where you could essentially have half wall and half gigantic door. So you would almost, if you like, when, when the door was open, you would be screening off, say, the head of the bed. The light would still be coming through into the rest of the flat and you could close it at night all or part of the way. So that's what, that's the kind of big expensive structural thing would be the sliding door. Love that idea. Genius. I think that's the way to bring the room back without bringing it back permanently. And we've had had this issue because we've got, again, this classic knock through front to back Victorian terrace. And I have felt very strongly because the back of this room, which was the library in the old house, will be my office now. And I wanted some way of screening it off. And I also didn't feel, and the pictures are beginning to come through as the decor is done, that it was kind of big enough to be one giant room. I mean, it looks very much like it was two small rooms and someone's tried to make them bigger by taking the wall down. But it's not, they're not the same width. The back half is narrower. So to me, it always felt a bit odd. And we've spent quite a long time looking at how to divide it. And people kept saying, oh, it's fine. You just put a partition at the side and you have doors that slide back into it. But because of the construction of the front of the room and the width, the 80 centimetres needed for a standard door, 72 or whatever it is, would take up too much room and you wouldn't be able to get past the furniture in the front half. So I then looked at having narrow folding doors that were 50 centimetres each that you could concertina back along each other. That I really like as an idea. And Rebecca could do something like that. You have to have them built. And this is where we fell down because budget-wise, it was going to be quite expensive. But if you have a solid partition of, say, 50 centimetres fixed on either side of your opening, and then you have a series of doors that are 50 centimetres each, as many as you need, two or three, depending on the gap, that concertina back against each other. So you then have a wide open space, which, again, you can close at night and you can have it all open. You can have just one door open. So that's another option. You could have it with glass as you say frosted glass let the light come through yes I love this idea or even like a even like a crittle window idea I mean you know we're now on top end budget now but I love that idea where you've got open and I'm seeing this happening more and more actually in sort of designer spaces where you've got the open plan feel but that instead of solid walls, crittle windows, even even if you've got a low partition wall and putting windows above. So it's a, it's allowing the light to flow through the space, but you've still separated it. But the other option, and again, we are looking at doing this between the kitchen and the hall, because again, the way the house is, and there is a floor plan on the blog, the kitchen door has been taken off. And in order to have that kitchen door put back on, it's either got to open flat against the cupboard under the stairs or flat against the hall. Or if it comes into the kitchen, then it's blocking the fridge or the cupboard. There isn't quite room for a sliding door. You know, the whole thing's very complicated. So we are going, you're going to hate this. You might not. You probably will. We're going curtain, heavy, 
velvet. Oh, no, that was going to be my next idea was a curtain. Oh, no, I'm on the page with a curtain, but a heavy curtain. A heavy curtain. But what you could have, what Rebecca could have is say velvet facing the hall and the front door, floor Mm. to ceiling, rippling along. It would almost look like a wall. And then on the inside, the bedroom side, she could have a pattern or a stripe or something a bit lighter. Also, velvet both sides going to be quite heavy. That will need to be structurally quite sound. So those were my ideas. But I think it's topical. Or you could even, you could have a lightweight curtain, like a voile with a nice wave or something from more of a contemporary look, if you still wanted the light to diffuse through that curtain, possibly. It depends, I suppose, who's sleeping in your guest room and how much privacy you think they might need when they're in there. I don't think that I don't think they've got an option. They've got people traipsing past their room anyway in the middle of the night That's to visit true. the bathroom by the sounds of things. I think I think Rebecca's friends, they're all close <laughs> friends, aren't they? Basically Rebecca when they come to yours. So there we go. That's a really interesting thing though. I think this idea of it's Nick got a, fr- a clever phrase, open plan but not open plan. Broken plan. Broken it's plan. Broken plan. That's what we're talking and I think- about. Yeah, and so look at your soft option curtains, look at folding doors, look at sliding doors, look at half wall and glass on top. Yeah, partition There's wall. There's lots yeah. and lots of options. To play with. But do do looking at the picture, do something, please, Rebecca. <laughs> on the subject of curtains and blinds, we had a question come in from Ines. She says that she would like to ask us a question about the basic rules of curtains and blinds. So she says she understands that short curtains are naff, but at the same time, she also understands that you don't want long curtains covering up a radiator unless you have a blind and a curtain combo. So you can leave the curtains open, obviously, and then close the blind while your radiators are on. But she says, what if you have a standard height window in a period property? Is there ever a scenario when stylistically you should opt for one over the other? Or is it just a personal preference? So is there a rule in a period house where one should have a blind at a window or one should have curtains? Well, first of all, I'm going to say the the sentence standard height window in period property. Well, that's a tautology. Yes, it's a bit open ended, isn't it? You know, that's. That is a contradiction in terms because there's no such thing in standard and period property. And when I came to replace the windows in the bedroom where I'm sitting now to record, there's one window which is technically a double sash and then there's a single sash. So, you know, and they were actually at different heights in the same room. And this is not a room that's been partitioned up. This was built whenever it was, you know, 1890. And the builder, I'm assuming, just kind of couldn't quite be bothered to get the spirit level out or whatever the equivalent was in 1890. So the windows were different heights. So first of all, I think, get rid of that idea. I think, and I I don't know if you agree, Sophie, it'd be quite unusual if you did. I think it comes down to personal preference. And so what I've done in the bedroom here is I've made cafe curtains uh, for the bottom half of the window for privacy, and that allows the heat to come out from the radiators, gives me all the privacy. Just explain to anybody who doesn't know what a cafe curtain is, what that looks like. It's a curtain fitted halfway across the wall. So in cafes, you would have had it so you couldn't see who was sitting at the tables, but it allows the light to come in at the top half. And they're usually like a voile fabric, aren't they? Yes, mine are not. They're quite heavy cream linen, which I had left over from a previous job, but they're really good for privacy, which in a bedroom I'm I'm enjoying. Um, And then I've got floor length curtains at the side and I leave the curtains open at night when the heating is on until I go to bed when the heating goes off and then I pull the curtains. And I've had lots of people saying to me, oh, you're pulling curtains over the radiators. And I'm thinking, well, A, I don't sleep with the heating on at night and B, 
it the room is still toasty warm in the morning. So the heating, the heat is finding its way through those curtains. And also it's the curtains are, are very good at in, keeping the heat in. So once you've warmed up, what you're saying is because you close your curtains after the room's warmed up. Yes, it's keeping you're it keeping in. the heating in. I think there are a couple. So yes, personal taste. I think really, I tend to think a blind looks a bit more contemporary. And a curtain gives something, your period property, a bit more of a period softer look. So I suppose, like you say, in terms of taste and aesthetics, that could lead you one way or another. Um, blinds are more tailored and neat and can help a room feel bigger because there's just less fabric in the space. So if you feel, sometimes I'll use blinds in smaller rooms if I want it to feel more open or if there's a desk or a console or a piece of furniture that has to go underneath the window then they're just more practical and then I would opt for long curtains like you Kate when you want something to feel softer more luxurious more cocooning the softness but actually to come back to the sitting room which which will be the knock through even though we've come up with a sort of partition idea at the front, this house doesn't have a bay window, but bay windows in sitting rooms are complicated because particularly in period properties, which might be narrower, that's a lot of fabric to pull out of the way of a bay window. The poles are very expensive and then you might be losing space at the sides where you might want to put a lamp or a chair or a table or something because you've got to get the curtain fabric out of the way. So we had in the last house blinds roman blinds which can now have you can have them in pattern you can have them in velvet you know the the sort of fixings have got much better so they're not a utilitarian roller blind so we're going to have a roman blind in the front of this house because the sofa is under the window and i don't want to have it so far forward to pull all the curtains but at the back of the room where I'm going to have my desk and that's it forward, we're going to have curtains. So I'm probably going to have the same material or very tonally matching so that the room is still one room. But there'll be curtains at one end and blinds at the other, which is why I say it comes down to your sort of personal taste or the practicalities of what you're using the room for. Yeah, two things. What are your tastes? Something tailored, contemporary and smart or soft and fulsome and then practicalities is there actually room for the curtains because as we said short short curtains look cute in little cottages I like a short curtain in a cute cottage but in any other kind of house I think they just look like you ran out of fabric and it's quite 1960s isn't it to have the short curtains that's kind of the look you're going for but I have to say I've had lots of people saying you never had curtains and you know now you're suddenly all over the curtains I'm loving my floor length curtains in my bedroom. Have you upset your followers with your curtains? Well, you know, I'm just... Are they feeling like you're cheating on them and now they've got to go and get curtains? It's different house, isn't it? Different house, different different feeling. But yes, these are sort of floor length cream velvet. And and in the last house, we had floorboards in the bedroom and we've just had this sizal flooring gone down and it's so cosy. I'm loving it. Never had a cosy bedroom. So now let's hear from Jane with her question about bringing the hall together with the rest of the... The rooms. I'm midway through a reno of my 1960s semi. It had been stripped of all original features and replaced with laminate flooring, UPVC windows, mock Victorian six panel doors and a cacophony of design crimes. So I'm slowly building it back, trying to be sensitive to the mid-century aesthetic, but with modern eclectic references. It's in an amazing spot and I get dazzled by the view. As you enter the house, all eyes are drawn to the sea view from my lounge and kitchen. But I need the hall and stairs to anchor you in the house as opposed to being drawn to the views. 
it needs presence and identity and for you to feel home, protected from the extreme coastal elements when stormy and not just a rat run to the main rooms. I'm not a maximalist, but I'm not afraid of colour. I'm drawn to brights, but my palette is changing in this environment. It's becoming more muted and about bringing the outside in. I love this question. Now, what I think this shows is that Jane has really, you know, she's in her home and she's beginning to really identify how she wants to feel working with the architecture of her build rather than fighting it. I think, Jane, you're absolutely on the right track. She's included an image of a floor-to-ceiling picture window of this coastal view. It is breathtaking. So you're obviously in a really stunning spot. And then architecturally inside the house, it's quite strict. It's not a period home. It's quite boxy. But, you know, nice hallway, Jane. It's nice and big. And you've got this kind of like, you walk into a vestibule area to begin with. And then there's sort of a cut through doorway and then you're into your stairwell. And this to me is just crying out for colour. Of course it is. And I think when you've got these amazing views at the back of the house, I'd be tempted to go a bit quieter with the decor and let the view be the hero showpiece. And so I think you can bring all the colour and the drama to your hallway. And I think this will absolutely anchor it. It'll give you a really impactful, warm welcome when you walk through the door. So where you're living room and the rooms towards the back of the house with you might be a softer powderier tone perhaps I'm thinking sea greens or you know lovely soft blues those sorts of colors could be very sympathetic with your um, view you could go for something really strong in the hallway that really kind of like yeah really grounds you a really strong grounding color paint it all the way through the um through the hallway up the stairs and the landings and then the additional thing this will do because I can see your hallway is also internal to the build when you then walk through into these other spaces they will feel even lighter and brighter you'll get an accentuated feeling of light and space as you come out of your dark to bold painted hallway so that's what I do I absolutely agree with you and I know it's difficult for for listeners who haven't got the picture of Jane's house but the hall is almost a separate room but it's light and opens up to the back so I think you want to bring in some colour I feel with a 1960s house it definitely doesn't want to go floral I'm thinking maybe you know you could have a striped wallpaper or maybe you could paint the ceiling blue to kind of nod to the view that's coming out and keep the walls lighter but it definitely wants to have its own personality I I really like that Jane's She's really thought about it. And I think this is this is what a lot of us do is we rush in and we just think about what we like rather than what is going to fit. And as you said, Sophie, she's thinking about the architecture. She's thinking about giving the hall its own personality so that that's a space you can appreciate. And you're not just going, oh, I'm in the front door. I'm going straight out to the back to look at the view. So there may be an element of bringing in some of those colours but giving it its own, it can take a bold colour. It's clearly quite a light house because light will be flooding in from that back window. So I'd be bold and go for it. Yeah, I love a bold hallway. I, absolutely. At the moment, it's all painted a sea of white. And uh, I think, Jane, you're right. That can go. Shall we hear from Sarah from Edinburgh? Hi, my name is Sarah from Edinburgh. We are doing a complete renovation of our home. Every wall downstairs has been moved and it's been remodelled to give us a lot more space and we're doing a loft conversion also. I guess I feel quite overwhelmed. I'm not sure where to start 
thinking about colours, themes, where do you put the light in, just looking for some steps, I think, about where to start and where to go then with regards to decorating and lighting when you're literally doing every single thing in the home. Thank you. I love this question. Of course you do. I <laughs> love it. I can literally feel Sarah's anxiety yes. coming down the telephone. You know, just the sheer overwhelm of the amount of decisions she's got to make, how important they all are, and where do you start? I mean, absolutely right, Sarah. And I think it's so great that you've reached out to us at this point because you are saving yourself an absolute domino effect of disasters by thinking it through uh, methodically. And it's a really common problem. I want you to know that I've done a whole online interior design course to answer this question. What is the design process? Because there is an A to Z way of working your way through a project and it doesn't start with a paint chart so many people think it does or fabric swatches or mood boards and actually I think you're you're on it already you're talking about lighting plans and I'm like oh thank goodness she's thinking about this now because once those builders have left and they put all your grid of recessed spotlights in it's too late or they put the plugs in the wrong places it's too late so first of all what I would do is you need to write yourself a brief which you know take room by room what are you doing in there? What's it used for? Who's going to be using it? Are there any furniture pieces that you're bringing from your old house? Or do you need to buy new furniture pieces for this room? And do a floor plan. That's where you start, Sarah. Do your floor plan. And then when you know where the sofa, the telly, the bed, the kitchen island, etc., is going, yeah, then you can say, right, well, I need a light socket here. I need a lamp here. I need a downlighter here. I need a pendant here. So that's where you start. None of the concepts, none of the pretty stuff just yet. It's the nuts and bolts, isn't it? Yes, I was going to say that's exactly the concept, but it's the kind of overall. But yes, it's it's work out what each room is. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what your house is like. Certainly in mine, there's only one place for the bed. There's only one place for the sofa. So there are certain sort of easy decisions that need to be made. And once you know where the sofa's going, then you know where the coffee table's going. And probably if it's in the same room where the telly's going. So there is there is that domino effect. Having said that, just like warning alert... Don't assume that your layout's going to be the same as the previous homeowner. No. Because a lot of people do that too and think, okay, well, this is where the dining table goes. This is where the sofa goes. To the point where you might decide that the dining room is actually going to become the sitting room and the sitting room is actually going to become the kitchen. Yeah. You know, you want to really have, you know, if you're not buying a new build, if you're buying an older property, really, even on that level, does this layout actually work for the way we live. So for example, for us, what I wish we'd done now that we haven't got enough money to do the big extension is I wish we'd just put our kitchen in the living room and switch them round because we spend all our time in the kitchen, which is really tiny. And then a couple of hours in the evening watching telly in this huge living room. And actually, I would have much rather a much bigger kitchen and a little TV snug room, for example. Yeah, I've written about that as well. It's absolutely key just because when you go and visit the place, you know, there's a bed in each of those three rooms. Doesn't mean it has to be a bedroom. Of course, it's more expensive moving bathrooms and kitchens. But the other rooms, you know, you can think, well, actually, I work from home. And this room, which is done as a dining room, would actually make a better office. And we don't need to have a dining room because we've got space to eat in the kitchen. So so do think about that. The other thing I would think about, which also comes in with the electrics, and we've done this, I always end up changing the doors on every room. So as I say, we're changing the bathroom door 
door to a sliding door, so that takes up less room in narrow corridors outside. We had in the last house folding doors, again, to save space. But what you find in classic Victorian houses is that the door opens into the corner and that was to sort of have more privacy in the main room but that can make your furniture placement more difficult so we are working our way around this house decorating the rooms and we're swapping all the hinges so that the door opens into the room so you see the room when you come in because we don't need the privacy obviously that then means all the light switches are on the wrong side so we've had to switch all the light switches over so you know, that's the the two things do kind of tie in together. But once you've worked out, is the room in the right place? This is what I'm using that room for. Is the door the right door for that thing? And then we get onto the electrics because that might need to move. And then you may go forth with your paint charts. Yeah. And I think I, I see that as the biggest problem that people make is they put sockets and lights in generic places and then bring their furniture in and then realise that actually they wanted a lamp in that corner and there's not a plug socket or actually they're going to work in this room and there's nowhere to plug the laptop in and so yeah that's my advice get your and it's really easy to do there are tutorials online or again it's something I teach on my online course how to do basic hand-drawn measure drawings or there's also lots of apps and whizzy bits of software out there as well that will help you do that and then also the brilliant thing is Sarah you've got a plan to give your electrician and say this is where I want the sockets and there's the measurements on so they put them where you want them not where they think they should be absolutely so this is a lovely one I'm going to love this one because this is from Hannah and it's about colour she says I have learned a lot about decoration tonal colours and contrast how to mix and match pattern and how to match paint and wallpaper top marks Hannah however she says what I am struggling to understand is how to paint several tones or colors of paint on four plain walls do you simply choose tonal colors do you paint opposite walls in one color and the other walls in slightly lighter or darker colors what about corners I'm not keen on halfway up the wall which would be easier and I'm happy to paint archways and features in another colour it's just how do you decide which walls to paint what colour and what colour to go with go with it is it a case of having one colour lighter and the other darker to give an exaggerated idea of shadow and light the problem with using photos for inspiration is that they don't show how the viewpoint is when using other parts of the room to make it look cohesive oh Hannah do you know what you're overthinking I was just going to say she's <laughs> deep in the weeds deep in the weeds here I love it I'm just really imagining Hannah so studious <laughs> she's learned all about tonal colour she's learned all about contrast and I think you've boxed yourself in and are over theorising this and what you've got to remember Hannah is what's lovely about colour and design and interiors is yes there's a little bit of science but it is mainly an art and that is where you've got to feel it and you've got to go with your gut and you've got to think like an artist. So I'm obviously going to say tonal, but what we've done in my sitting room at the moment... But justify that. Why tonal? Because I just like tonal colours because that's my that's my design thing is all about, you know, fewer colours but in lots of different shades. But let's, let's unpick that, why you like that. So... By going with tonal colours, it's a lot softer. Yeah. It's more relaxing. Whereas you see, I like a contrast because I like high impact, high energy. So that's to 
that's to understand that from a get-go. So there's no right or wrong. It's like, do you like a softer, more understated look? Or do you like something bolder and more in your face? And in extreme cases, Sophie would say she might feel quite drained in my more tonal, softer scheme. And, you know, I feel really tense and quite cross in her high energy. So, you know, you really have to decide what what is for you yes how you want to feel in the space so in my sitting room which is going to be tonal what we are doing is we're using two shades of the same color um and so and this is called it's powder by paint and paper library and the great thing about paint and paper library is that you can have shades one two three or four so it's the same color in different strengths and I have gone for I think it's four on the ceiling and woodwork so there's a darker pink on the ceiling and on the windows and the picture rail and the skirting board so the window kind of overlaps between the two and then the walls will be in a paler version of the same colour so that's my kind of tonal and how I've divided it so it's not a half painted wall it's just walls in one colour ceiling a bit darker could have done the ceiling the same as the walls with just the woodwork darker. I mean, this is where you get into, there kind of aren't any rules. And I understand, Hannah, that you're saying, you know, you've learnt, you've learnt this about matching this and doing that. But, it, you know, you, you can kind of do what you want. I think there has to be an element of having fun with it because I think otherwise it can become too stilted. And the lovely thing about paint is if it doesn't quite work out, you can paint over it. And we do do that. That is a thing. That is allowed. That doesn't mean you've got it wrong. You don't have to sit in the corner in shame. It's fine. I mean, I think wherever you're going to put the brighter, poppier, more contrasty colour, it's going to be more attention grabbing. So think of that. If there's a a part of the room where you want to draw the eye towards, maybe it's towards a lovely fireplace or you're mounting a beautiful piece of artwork on it, the stronger, brighter colour will be more arresting. So that's always a tip. If you've got a beautiful feature like a an archway, if you pick that out in a bright colour, it will really pop. So you can also use colour to, to draw attention. And consequently, I don't know, maybe your fitted wardrobes or something that you don't want to be the star of the show could be something in one of more muted colours. Or paint them the same colour as the wall. So they sort of recede into the wall and you don't even see them. Paint is... Of course, paint is decorative and it is about colours that make you happy. But it's also quite a useful tool because, as Sophie says, you can highlight something, but you can also slightly disguise it. So, you know, you need to look at the room and work out your highlights and and the things you need to disguise as well. So we've done bookshelves in the back of the room in a in a darker kind of rusty brown colour. And they come right up to the steel, which was the room opener. So we've painted underneath the steel division in the same colour as the bookshelves to make it all look like it was a kind of built-in one piece. So do have fun with it. And and as Sophie said, if you do paint something and it's not quite right, then, you know, move on, paint it again. Yeah, so there are no rules, but those are our tips. Hope that helps. (laughs) Right, now let's hear, moving on from colour and floor plans to furniture. And this is from Scarlet. Our modular sofas are design crime. I currently have two three-seater sofas in my lounge room. They face each other to encourage conversation and to ensure that the focus of the room isn't the TV. I'm with you. This has worked well. Our guests often sit on the sofas to chat and the TV is hidden away off to the side. However, 
They are grey and beige. What is with all sofas being grey or beige? Or is this just an Australian thing? No, I think it's quite global. <laughs> um, anyhow, I long for something more plush and wide that I can sink into and snuggle up with my family on. So it's time for a change. And I'm considering, a, insert dramatic music here, modular sofa. I like the relaxed, low, super puddingy, slipcover, Californian cool type ones. However, do you think modular sofas are a design crime? How do I maintain the conversational vibe in my lounge room? How can I have the comfy sofa of my dreams and keep the room looking fabulous? Help! For reference, it's a West Australian beach house built in the 1980s. It's eclectic, bohemian and relaxed. And I've just had a baby, so I'm spending a lot more time on the sofa. And yes, I wrote this during a 1am feed. <laughs> I would say if, it's, if if she's into the Californian relaxed eclectic boho mode, I don't know what she's doing with a grey sofa in the first place. <laughs> Definitely time for a change. I, I don't. Well, first up, I don't think modular sofas are design crime. Um, I think they can be great. And actually, it reminds me of when we went to go and see Simon Khan just before Christmas in her very stylish little Hampstead uh, flat and she had this enormous squishy modular L-shaped sofa didn't she that was really deep I mean we could only sit on it cross legs it was so deep (laughs) but wasn't it lovely and in terms of creating that really nice vibe that I think Scarlett you're really after I think it's cool and look Simon's cool she doesn't have kids she's quite you know quite the sophisticated London thing but I can imagine all her and her girlfriends you know sat round cross-legged it's a really cool vibe so I think if that's what you're channeling and as your little one I know you've got a baby at the moment but as they grow it would just be a lovely place to hang out as a family so I think it's a great idea I also think you know I mean there's very little that is an actual design crime although possibly a modular sofa in grey might be (laughs) Um, but I think a a modular sofa that's you know comfy in any colour you like that's absolutely not a crime and of course the whole point of a modular sofa I'm guessing I mean I know you can get sofas that you build up in different modules to be as long as you want but I I don't know my assumption with a modular sofa is one that's an L shape or a U shape and of course that's totally conversational So, you know, you don't have to feel, I mean, yes, if you've got a very long modular sofa and there's five people on it, you might all feel like you're lined up at the bus stop and it's not very conversational. But if you've got the, you know, a turn at one end or both end and there's perhaps three or four of you, you can totally move yourself around with enough space to chat. I mean, I think in your classic Victorian terrace in the UK... It's tricky. There might not be enough room. But in your 1980s Australian beach house, baby. I'm assuming you've got more space for a modular sofa and that you can still be completely conversational. So I'm going to say ditch that grey sofa you've got and go for your puddingy California boho modular L-shaped. Just call it an L-shaped sofa rather than a modular. There's nothing wrong with the word modular. What are you talking about? Well, I don't know. It sounds, it sounds more rigid. It sounds more rigid, doesn't it? And I think she's wanting relaxed. I think modular sounds cool. Uh, what I would just throw in to finish off is you can also add some armchairs to complete the circle. So you're right, Kate. You can't, you know, with an L-shape or modular sofa, you can end up with a lot of people in one area. They're not always an uh, they're not always uh, like the L part of the L might not be very big. So a couple of armchairs, a couple of feature armchairs. 
pebble shaped I'm imagining and I'm just painting Ooh. this Californian cool you're taking it quite literal here this beach house I am you? you want some shelter yes um, yes. And a pebble coffee yes. table. Yes. And then, you know, paint it all blue yes. and white. Yeah, because it's by the coast. <laughs> Time to move on. <laughs> right, let's hear from Alice. Hi, Kate and Sophie. I live in Suffolk in a 1930s ex-council house with my husband and our three-year-old son. We've now decorated all of the rooms in our house except for the living dining room and I've attached some pictures for you to see it. I'm finding it really hard to decorate because the room is very big and fulfills many functions for us. It's our living room, dining room, playroom and sometimes office too. It's the only way as well to get to the upstairs of the house. You come in and you walk through the living room to get upstairs and to come downstairs and access the bathroom and the kitchen. We have way too many toys for my son. But I'm not really worried about that. I know that quite soon he'll be too old for them and they'll go. So I don't really, don't worry, I'm not asking you what to do with my toys. <laughs> but my question is how I should decorate it. I don't want to just paint it in another neutral colour. But at the same time, I'm scared to introduce too much colour into the space because we spend all of our time in it. And I think if I do anything too wild, I might regret it. It also just feels so big and overwhelming. And I'm not sure what kind of colours would work in such a big space overall. I've wondered about trying to decorate it in two cohesive halves, trying to make it feel more like two separate rooms. My current plan is to do a feature wall of Liberty wallpaper, and I've attached a photo of that too behind the larger sofa wall. Um, I know we're not meant to do them, but I really like it, and I definitely couldn't afford to do the whole room in it. We'll definitely be getting new sofas and curtains to go in the room once everything is decorated. We hope that we will move in the next few years. So I don't want to spend money on doing anything too major. I don't want to put in a dividing wall or even skim the ceiling. I just want to paint and wallpaper and make it look nicer for the time we're going to live in the house for the next few years. I'd really value your expert opinions. Thank you. I just want to come straight in with the feature wall. Because I know she said, oh, I know we're not supposed to do them. It's not that we're not supposed to do them. It's about doing them right. And where I think a feature wall doesn't work is when you stick the feature wall on the wall and the rest of the room is white because that's when it looks random. You haven't joined it together. So absolutely do one wall in the very expensive Liberty print. That will look fabulous. But the key to bringing it all together and making it look cohesive would be at the very least to make sure that all the woodwork is one of the colours that you like from that Liberty print wallpaper. So pink or green or blue or yellow and do that round all the walls so then it's not just a wall on its own sort of lurking at the edge of the party you've brought it into the room and joined it in so I would do the skirtings the woodwork perhaps the window frames in a colour that goes with the wallpaper and then you can do your walls I mean I, I think probably something more exciting than white but you could do them in a more neutral colour if you wanted and again use that wallpaper as your base for all your other colours potentially even do curtains to match the wallpaper again to bring it together without having to paper the whole thing yeah I think it's I think it's tricky when you've got these knock through rooms so I'm looking at the pictures um, that Alice has sent in and it's quite eclectic there's a lot of stuff going in it's got the usual thing there's the tv I count it there's a chest coffee table I've counted two extra toy chests a sort of Victorian blue dresser and some classic Ikea storage and 
Alice, nothing, as I'm sure you you know, is going together. And my thought is adding a feature wallpaper isn't going to rescue this scheme. So it's trying to bring a bit of cohesion to us. I mean, this, this is a really, I think this is a really great question because I think a lot of people have these open plan multi-spaces. It's your adult living room. It's your kid's playroom. It's the dining table. It's somewhere to work. There is storage happening all over the place. And there is no cohesion. So I think I'd work with what you've got. I'm imagining, okay, new sofas, new curtains, brilliant. And I would get on board with what are they going to be before you go picking any wallpaper to make sure everything works together. And then you know, this is a classic case of wanting some fitted storage, but you say you're moving in three years, so you don't want to be investing in a carpenter coming in uh, and doing that. So you want to work with what you've already got. And I would almost get a paintbrush out and start painting some of this furniture in a colour that unifies it. Maybe just think about getting a bit of chalk paint and bringing that all into one colour palette would already visually stop it being quite busy. So then when you do bring in your feature wallpaper... It doesn't get lost in the quite in the busyness. In the <laughs> it's your front room at the moment. You could do it tonally to come back to where we were earlier. You know, you could do the table in a darker blue and the chairs in a paler blue. Well, this this wallpaper is quite tonal neutrals that she sent in. Neutrals from grey to beige to gold. So I'd use that Liberty print. It's quite Art Deco, actually. It's really rather lovely fan design. I'd use that right there as your colour palette. And like you say, Kate was about to say, pick some of the lighter colours for some elements and the darker colours for others. Because you don't want to paint all your furniture in the same pot of paint. That would look mental. Um, And it will just bring everything together. And then when you choose your curtain fabric and your Um, sofas again use the wallpaper as your color palette to match the sofa so that everything goes together uh, in terms of your color palette and I think you'll just feel a lot calmer in that space already it's quite hectic there's quite a lot going on but that's not unusual uh, for young families who've got to use one room for lots of different things and I think it's great that that you know you you sort of say I'm not bothered about the toy storage because I know that's a phase because that's absolutely the case you know when they're the smaller the child the bigger the toys and then as they get older it all gets smaller and smaller until it's just reduced to one tiny screen that they never put down (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't take up any space (laughs) so I think Alice The key is that you need to do this room and then share the pictures with us on our Facebook group, The Great Indoors Podcast. And I'm afraid that's all we've got time for this week. But do send your design dilemmas into thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com as we open the style surgery once a month. And in the meantime, you can find us over on Instagram where I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors and she's mad about the house. And a huge thanks to our producer, Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective. And we'll see you next week in The Great Indoors. Oh, that's gone on to sacred healing music. <laughs> just, just fine. Uh, okay. When I was pregnant, I used to listen to a lot of that kind of sacred healing music. And it's still Arthur's on me. how old now? Eleven. Eleven. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Right. Makes me yeah. feel better about not clearing my inbox. Um, <laughs>